on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. There's always talk growing up. My specifically, my mom said in business and in life, don't be unequally yoked. You know, if you've got intentions, you're moving at a certain speed, you're a certain type of person and you yoke yourself up with, let's say, a partner or a landlord or a distributor or an employee that doesn't have the discipline that you have, doesn't have the drive and the goals that you have, they don't, they don't have the buy-in. That's where tension comes from and stress. And it can cost you a lot of money and it can cost you a lot of time. And then in the end, typically your relationship with the person or the entity that you're working with is the bridge is burned. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. Today, I've got Tim Floros here on the King stage, my bearded brother. How we doing? Woot woot, Chaz. Thank you so much for having me, man. Doing great. How about yourself? I'll give you a woot woot back on that one. That's kind of like my go-to when when we celebrate as a team. I've got the the, the typical woot. <laughs> Not even a woot woot. I just, I just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're 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 kindred spirits over here. But I like I like the one singular woot. And and so that that way they know literally that I'm being sarcastic. Well, two woots is is a victory, definite victory. It is. It definitely solidifies the wootness of it, but it at least raises my eyebrows and goes, "Hey, all right, we're on track." I love it, Tim. I appreciate you being here today, brother. What kind of business do you have? Yeah, well, thanks, Chaz. It's it's awesome to be here talking with you today. I am in the beer business. I I have founded and run a craft brewery out of Westchester, Pennsylvania called Levante Brewing Company. And we make and make and sell and uh, deliver joy to all those around us through beer and other beverages, seltzer, cider, et cetera. Love it. A little cider action going on there. I haven't heard that. That makes me think of the fall and uh, taking my kids to a pumpkin patch. So I'm, I'm, I'm in that lane for sure. It's always so much fun. Yeah. And I, and usually, you know, when I do so, we'll go to an apple orchard that has a cidery there. You'd be able to sip some of the wares while you're picking apples and lifting the kids up to the top of the tree. It's a That's good time. Right. So yeah, we we do a little bit of cider as well. That's awesome, man. I I, I can I can only imagine that it allows for a diversification in customers. But you know, I, I told you before we got started here that I haven't met a brewer that isn't passionate or isn't excited <laughs> about the business. I kind of you mentioned that the that you're a bunch of nerds and you just nerd out, or a bunch of geeks and and you just kind of get excited about the product and the experience and of course the taste and the science that goes behind it. I say all that to kind of set you up here for my first question, which is your why, like the burning desire of Tim. Is it beer? Is it below the beer? You said you're you're delivering joy. What what does all this really mean? What's the deep insides of you and what you're what you're doing here? It's funny if that's an awesome question because the you know you you see that in so many you know personal development books and seminars and you know you always want to know why someone's doing something because that the root of the why is is probably the most important thing for me it's changed over time frankly i think the why changes at first it was just a a absolute burning passion for beer and business and but it's more so on the beer side i wanted to know I, i actually when i was in college i studied abroad in italy and i i I fell in love with the food and beverage scene there. I came back to the U.S. I wanted to get involved with the food and beverage scene here because it's a great way to get into business. When I had my first craft beer, I was just over 21. And I guess it was my first legal craft beer, we'll call it that. I you weren't doing never, anything with craft beer before that? Never tried a craft beer. <laughs> I probably did, but I didn't know what I was drinking. Don't tell mom and dad. But uh, the I just I, my eyes opened when I had my first craft beer. It was a dogfish head, 60 minutes. And I just wanted to learn everything about it. I wanted to read every beer book that I could, every business book that I could, and figure out how I, was, how I could make this into a business. At the time, I was in entrepreneurial studies at Villanova University, and it was all about this, this dream to create this product and to share it with other people. 
And that's still there. That why is still there. But now it's much more about family and community and, you know, creating jobs and adding value and all these things that the the, the why is starting to shift. And even where we are now, about eight years into business, we've always been in a community, but I'm much less concerned with brewing a new experimental fun beer. And I'm much more concerned with or proud of the fact that we can raise food to fight hunger in the area. Like we're going to do for our our annual hot party, we call it every year during our anniversary. We just do basically a giving back party where we raise food funds and awareness for fighting hunger. So that's, I think that's really where it's gone. I want to, you know, make sure we're creating economic stability for those people that work with us and the people we serve, communities we serve. But it's not bad kicking back at the end of the day, you know, drinking one of your creations and, and just fostering communication with friends, family, et cetera. Yeah. So that's the long-winded answer of the why. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you set it up perfectly, actually. Not only do we understand a little bit of your journey already, and we'll get more into the detail of it, but you gave us the transition from warrior to king. And that's really what it, what it looks like in the mindset of, you know, I sought out for my personal ambition, whether that was money or the fact that you loved business or beer or that you were just super curious or geeking out, as we called it before we hit the record button of all these like little things that we love about the thing that we do. And that's all great. But at some yeah. point, impact or influence, community, your family, your friends, the people that work for you, their their family, all of those people or the the responsibility of such takes a different foothold in in what it is that you're meant to do or that you realize that you're meant to do. So you gave us a great picture of that. Would you like to add anything to that? I would just, I would just support what you said. There's that old saying, heavy is the head that wears the crown. That's right. And, you know, not to toot our horns as, you know, kings or business owners, leaders in business, but you, you know, when you start a business, you're, you're on this adventure. And right. as you go throughout, the, throughout the process of, you know, being a leader, you know, actually being in business. You become much less of that. Like, let me charge ahead. Let me be on the front lines. And you take a step back and you say, like, how do I take care of my people? How do I take care of myself, my family, et cetera? And just truly grow rather than just output, output. So uh, yeah, it's it's changed a lot, but I still get to geek out with the brewers. So yeah. that's fun. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's there's always that those moments <clears throat> using the king language again of just that, uh, that he wants to get a little dirty, maybe a little bloody even. For sure. But the reality of of the weight that you described of the crown is responsibility. And if if the if the king dies in the battle or in business terms, is stuck in the day to day, like you were creating a new craft beer, then then all of the other things, the community, the raising funds and food, like all of those things actually don't get pushed because nobody else is going to going to do those things like we do. Yeah, it's so true. It's a tough balance. But, you know, because you, you you're constantly asking yourself why. But I mean, that's, that's why it does change. And I think a lot of people don't give that enough credit that your why can change. Yeah. So As it should. It. Right. As it should. Okay. Well, let's, let's hear about the journey. I mean, you said that you were at Villanova, maybe, maybe the listener is like me and hasn't, doesn't have a clue about uh, Nova unless we've seen him in the final four. Of course. <laughs> but how, how did you, how did your story go from, from there to, to opening up your first business? What's funny? Cause the, um, when I look back at my story, I always think about like, you know, there's a lot of chance and maybe luck involved or if you want to call it fate, et cetera. But when I was younger in, in high school, I was, my family was a very entrepreneurial. So I got to learn, I got okay. to, my favorite book growing up was How to Win Friends and Influence People. It That's was good. one I read every year. I would do little experiments in my gym classes. Like, you know, okay, well, if I, if I treat my team a certain way or, you know, uh, how, how will that affect the success of the team? And so. I remember back to doing those things, like wanting to work with people, wanting to, you know, to affect change in some way, shape or form. And I thought the best way to do that was going to the military. So I had, I don't know how that translated exactly, but I think it was just working with people and leading. That is what I wanted to do. It's kind of weird. Like, oh, I want to be a leader. I just don't know what. I just want to be a leader. Yeah. Uh, So I- Great place to go and learn how to be a leader. Yeah. It's a good way. I mean, that's at least that's what they say. And that's what you see in the movies. And it's it's very kind of glorified. And I had family members in the military that I just respected so much. And my grandfather, my grandfather, my great uncles all fought in World War II. Fantastic people, fantastic leaders, very brave people. So I figured that's great. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And then maybe when I get out of the military, I'll go into business. Of course, you know, fate, fate would have it. There were other plans, but I joined ROTC, got accepted into Villanova and joined the ROTC program, their army ROTC. 
And I did two years in that program and I was gung-ho, just all about it. That was my, that was my why. That was my passion. And it's funny, we talk about the why and passions changing. Two years into my ROTC scholarship and studies at Villanova, I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And I had a real tough time health-wise. I you know, was failing courses because I wasn't able to kind of stay in school. I was in and out of the hospital a lot. And yeah. that's when that why shifted to, okay, like, do I even want to be in school? I certainly can't be in the army anymore because that's a disqualifying condition for an yeah. officer. And yeah. I turned my, uh, I turned my, my sights back to business, no pun intended, turned my sights back to business and Villanova just happened that year in my junior year to be piloting an entrepreneurship minor. And I was like, I'll give it a shot. I'll do entrepreneurship. I'll, I'll, you know, pick up a language. I picked up Italian and I started studying entrepreneurship and it was such a cool program. I got to actually pitch business plans to, to successful people like uh, the, the CEO of LinkedIn at the time. Wow. I got to pitch a business plan to him for LinkedIn and growing LinkedIn in the, in the college communities around the country. And actually our group one and the CEO of LinkedIn took us out to dinner in the city and everything. It was really cool. But you got to learn the whole process of, of, you know, finding a business that you wanted to be involved with that could be successful, writing a business plan, pitching to investors, and then get it right up to launch. But that's as far as I had gotten. Yeah. So, you know, I know we you talked a little itch. bit about, yeah, the itch, the itch was there, but that's like, oh man, I never really launched. You know, we kind of launched businesses. We, we had basically launched a, an online student housing website that helped find, okay. that helped match landlords in the area. Cause there's not a lot of student housing on campus. It was a real need that we thought we could fulfill. So we got a database of all the properties that were approved for student housing in the area. And we started a website and started matching just for free. We didn't, we didn't monetize it at first, started matching students with potential landlords. And that was really cool. But in my first lesson that I learned there was, you know, you, you have a partnership with these other okay. students and you're starting a business. The first lesson that I learned that I was really reinforced from my father earlier on in life was partnerships of the devil, he would say. So what happened was, you know, before we're about to graduate, before the business ever even starts, everyone's kind of squabbling over what they put in, you know, <laughs> what they have rights to as far as ownership percentage and all that. And unless I learned from the onset was, if you're going to have a partnership, you need a really good plan. You need a really good partnership agreement before you ever start. That's right. So that was a really cool lesson. And fast forwarding into how I got into beer was when that kind of dissolved, I went, I decided to study abroad in Italy, fell in love with the food and beverage and particularly the, the family run wineries there. Yeah. I was not drinking too much. It was just sampling. And when I got back, <laughs> I wanted to, to create that year in the U.S. I didn't know on the West Coast they were doing that with craft beer. And it was kind of making its way over to the East Coast back in the you know early 2000s. And it was a real boom. And I just didn't know that it existed. So once I got, you know, tried my first craft beer and got involved in the craft beer boom, I, I feel like I, I blacked out, literally, literally and figuratively speaking, I feel like I blacked out and fast forward, bam, now I have this brewery. We're brewing, you know, uh, thousands, thousands of barrels a year. And it was all just because I got bit by that bug, yeah. fell in love with the production process and the business process of all that. And the rest is really history. Well, I, I think that you're right. I think that we can all relate to, you know, I had, I had an idea, I had a thought, I had a wild hair and all of a sudden a business. And, and obviously there's a lot of detail in between there. We're going to get to some of that, but I think it's actually a pretty true <laughs> depiction, especially eight years in. I mean, I can look, you know, I bought my first franchise when I was 24, so I can look back 11 years and wow. go, Holy moly, there's a lot that's changed in 11 years. Actually, it feels like a whole nother life ago. And I mean, I, I, the ability that you have now to be able to look back over a lot of those details and just like, you know, like here we are, but there's, there's a lot of things in between there. So that's, that's the meat here of the show. So you set me up perfectly, Tim, for a nice little transition here. It I wasn't even know. rehearsed. It wasn't even rehearsed <laughs> at all. We're just flowing, just bearded flow over here. But I want to. I want to know, in you know, practical sense, what's something that you did, maybe even early on as you were building, that you would just do over and over because it worked so good. Something that maybe that we can implement into our own businesses. Good decision. Yeah, I mean, it, this the consistency thing is always big because we'll, we'll make good decisions, but then maybe not follow them up with consistent effort. And sure. if I were to say one thing that I did 
that one, I'm sure there were a few, but one thing that I did, I, I, I had this, I ordered this, uh, this painting and in my, behind my desk, which I never sat at, cause I would always start in the business. I would always be out on the front lines. Like we were talking about, it had a depiction of, it was a picture of a cityscape, like a, okay. a skyline. And yeah. I mean, you might've seen this jazz. The river is, there's a river or water right in front of it. And there's the, in the river, in the river, the reflection is a dark reflection of the skyline. And then, oh, okay. of course, there's a, the half the picture is the has the sun in the background and it's bright. And at the top, it says early mornings and the bottom says late nights. And I think that I just my the discipline that I had to always be there early and always be working on the business early in the morning and late into nights, not like a not like a grind per se, but really just always being intent, like having intent in what I was doing and working yeah. on the business all the time. I think that how hard I would work and how, how, how much my mind and my heart and soul were in the business. It, it gave us as a company, as a team, it gave us this energy and this kind of leg up or one up on all of our competitions. No one could keep up with us. So if that, if that answers your question there, it would have been that consistent, just intentional thought process day in, day out on the business. I didn't get distracted yeah. for, for a long time. Yeah. And I think that you actually set it up perfectly there. What I heard you say is that you weren't working from behind the desk. And now obviously there's different industries listening and, and okay, as a listener right now, you might need to be behind a desk. That's not what I'm saying. What Tim said is that he was in the business making things happen. And, and, and we all know that's warrior mode. Great. We got to be in it. We got to make yeah. it work. But the intentionality, like, so the next layer to being there and being in the thick of it is no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go all in early, late, whatever it costs, whatever it costs me, whatever it takes. But I'm going to be focused about it. I'm not just I'm not just busy, right? Yeah, I think that a lot of people, especially early on, they're busy being busy rather than busy being intentional. Even if you're in the business still and you haven't been able to elevate to working on the business, you can still be in and being intentional and not just running around being busy. What would you What would you add to that? Because that's that's a little bit of a conundrum that people feel like they get like, okay, I got to go through the the busy thing and working in. Even that can be super intentional. Yeah, I, w- I would just add that even because there's this there's this th- distinction that I always ask myself, am I working in the business or on the business? And we all have these ideas on where you are in your your history in the company or your position in the company. I should be working on it 100%. That's not always the case. Right. The focus is important, you know, and the intentionality is important. Right. So I, I, th- I feel like for a very long time, it required because there wasn't anyone else to make the decisions and, and do the work, it required focus. Not not uh not on multitasking because I don't even really believe I'm a good multitasker, but it required being focused on whatever it was you decided at that moment. So if it was brewing beer, I'm focused on the quality of this beer. But then if you jump down from the brew stand and you got to fire off emails and order supplies and talk to customers that you're distributing to, you ship right. gears focused on that and working on the business there. So yeah, I would agree. It's you're in warrior mode for sure, and it never really goes away. But being able to focus on the battlefield is huge. Yeah. Yeah. You, what you just said there is that over the course of time, your perspective of the battlefield changes and maybe you're not the one on the front lines. And then maybe you're not the one in on the field at all. And then maybe you don't even go to the battle. Maybe you're still, you know, back and, and and Corey choreographing the, the effort. But I guess the, the intentionality is what I want to try to pull from there. How does the listener, maybe they've got a huge business. Maybe they're just getting started. When you said I'm intentional, Right. Like, okay, just choose to do this one thing. Well, that like that seems really simple. <laughs> how yeah. how would you suggest that they just be intentional about what they're doing, whether that's in or it's not an easy task because you got to know where you want to go, I think, personally. And and that's the why. intention. Yeah. It, and that's what we talked about the why changing, not to weave it all together. But as your why changes, so will your goals, like your goal, you're not going to set your goals today. You know, let's say your 10 year goals, your B tag, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to right. call it, you're not going to set them today and it's not going to change. So I just think that if you're really clear on your goals and you're, you take the time, you know, whether it's early morning with yourself to just revisit them, you know, maybe it's late night, early mornings or late nights, right? You visit while you're there, put your goals down on paper, actually write them down and you know, tell your inner circle, like, this is what we're doing. Tell your people, like, this is what we're going to, we're going to shoot for. And then work it all the way back to where you stand today and what you need to do weekly, monthly, et cetera, to get there. And I think that when you're, when you're in the startup phase, that just comes really naturally to you where you're like, oh, I know why I'm here. I'm here to be successful. 
And they talk about, there's, there's a bunch of books out there, but one I love is Scaling Up. And they talk about these valleys of death, you know, and you, you, you start the business and you're just going, you know, you're maybe up to your first million, up to your first two million, maybe even three. And you don't even have 20, 20 employees yet, let's say. Everyone's, but everyone's gets daily connection with the vision from the founder who yeah. owned the founding team. Right. And then as you grow that kind of, you kind of drift from that. And I think it's important for leaders of business. And even I'm doing this right now. I try to do it at least quarterly if I can, is just sit back down and figure out how far you may have drifted from your why, or do you need a new one altogether? That's right. And I think if that answers your question, I think to have intention, you've got to know what you're, what you're focused on, what is, you know, what are you intending to do? And then work in that back because it's so easy to get distracted. Yeah. I love it. I hope that the listener is paying close attention. I say that often on these shows, but everything that you just gave is like really, really practical. It's like the actual definition of the word intention, but it's- Yeah, I should have like, just started with ding. I mean, yeah, bro, but, but sometimes we just need to hear it a little different way. We needed to hear the the Tim Flores way. So let's flip the coin though. Tell me about a bad decision, something that you did that you can keep us away from. Man, there's so many. I, I love to talk to young young guys who are starting breweries or young or old, but people new in the brewing industry. And they're like, oh, you think I could you know, pick your brain a little bit about you know, how to, how to build a successful brewery. And I was like, I can, I can't tell you how to build a successful brewery for you, but I can tell you what not to do, how not to lose millions of dollars you know, or, or friendships, you know, et cetera. Yeah. So I would say probably one of the, this is really a theme, not a specific decision. I'm sure I could go into them, but the theme would be that I didn't pay careful enough attention to who I was working with. Okay. And, and the benefit, you know, their, their abilities versus mine, what, what I was giving to them, what the benefits were for them to be working with me or right. our company and vice yeah. versa. Because yeah. I was always taught growing up, my specifically, my mom said in business and in life, don't be unequally yoked. You know, if you've got intentions, you're moving at a certain speed, you're a certain type of person and you yoke yourself up with, let's say a partner or a landlord or a distributor or an employee that doesn't have the discipline that you have, doesn't have the drive and the goals that you have, they don't, they don't have the buy-in. That's where tension comes from and stress. And it can cost you a lot of money and it can cost you a lot of time. And then in the end, typically your relationship with the person or the entity that you're working with is the bridge is burned. So I would say that you can, I try to think about this often because eight years in this particular business and I look back and I'm like, ooh, there's some, there's some burn bridges for sure <laughs> with people, with businesses or just decisions and lost money. And I think if you, from the onset, just like we were talking about, if you think about like, how is this relationship going to help the business, the team? How am I going to help that relationship? And actually, are they going to get what they need? Is this just one-sided? Right. Right. If you can answer those questions, yeah, everyone will benefit from this. And everybody is bringing the, the proper skill sets or you know drive or discipline to the table then I think you got a win-win relationship. I think it's choosing relationships and partners yeah. uh, irresponsibly. It would be my biggest mistake. Yeah, well, I think, I think that we can all relate to you. So <clears throat> I think that you're speaking out of a vein that we all can understand. But I loved, I loved how you said there, I mean, the, the equally yoked piece makes a lot of sense because otherwise the, the weight is, is improper. So a lot, of, a lot of times people don't know where that, comes from, but it's from two oxen being yoked together and pulling a cart or pulling a plow of sorts. And so you want them to be equal so that the weight distribution can can actually work for efficiency. And so if it's not, then it then the whole thing doesn't work. It just it just doesn't work. And so it's just a physics thing. And so the ability that we have in relationships, our marriages, our friends, our like you said, and then all the business relationships, vendors, employees, partners, Keeping these things in mind, not everything has to be like, we have to be the exact same person because then there's not going to, there's not going to be any tug pull. There's not going to be any challenging. You guys are all just going to fall in line and do it my way, which may sound actually great at the beginning, but that doesn't build a big organization. What I hear Tim saying is that I just need to make sure that the foundational pieces are the same where the weight is, is right. Actually, what yeah. popped in my mind was Patrick Lencioni's book, Ideal Team Player. He talks about hungry, humble, and smart. And it, these three things is like, okay, if this person's hungry, humble, and smart, like if I can really dial those things in and go, okay, well, I can align myself with this person. Our pace is going to be the same. We're both hungry. 
our attitude or our gratefulness, our ego is going to be the same because we're both humble. Our, our intelligence, maybe not actual IQ, but our ability to want to learn and grow and, and want to gain knowledge. Well, that's being smart. Okay. So if we're aligned in these things, this is probably going to go really, really well for us. I've kind of thrown out some different concepts here. What, what would be your response? I would agree 100%. I'm so glad you used the term alignment because we probably could have said that in the beginning, but we're digging so much deeper into it because yeah. people use the term alignment. I always say that it's it's much better to place weight on alignment than trust because Ooh, okay. especially in business, because you're, let's say you've got an employee, you've got a business partner, you've got a vendor and the relationship requires a lot of trust, uh, but you're not really sure that you're aligned, meaning your goals might not be the same. You know, let's right. say you've got a, let's say you've got a distributor that they don't want to grow and, and, and like, like, let's say you want, you want to 10 X your company, but you're with a distributor distributing your products to the, you know, to your entire territory or a large portion that doesn't want to grow like you do. They don't have the infrastructure. Right. They don't want to make the investments. They're not aligned. Right. So, and, and same thing with people when it comes to, like you said, it was hungry, humble. And what was the last one? I haven't smart. read that once yet. Yeah. Hungry, humble, and smart. Yeah. I think it's the smart part. I think that the line that is the key term there. And it's hard to tell if you're aligned, but, but I like to think about that nowadays, just like is, you know, if I'm interviewing someone who's coming on board for any position, because all positions are, are important, do they align with the culture and the expectations of the organization? Because our culture is important. If on one side, you've got someone who, you know, frankly, just doesn't have drive. They're not aggressive. They might even be a little lazy. They're not a team player. On the other hand, you've got someone who works their butt off and they're extremely disciplined and they sacrifice for the good of the team. You're going to lose your good people. It's usually yep. that the bad people are going to stay. So alignment, awesome word. This is deep, man. It, it, it's what builds and then keeps companies, its culture. In fact, actually a, a good a good friend. He, he started off as a mastermind client and became a good friend and, and now business partner. We're launching a consulting offer for garage door companies, but this works with any home service or any business. You know, we've got, we've got our semantics of, the, of how the business works or the machine, but underneath sure. it all, it's culture, man. It's culture. And the, the, the dynamics of tweak this or tweak that or implement this or implement that almost mean nothing if, if there isn't a culture to stand on. And so it's kind of a buzzword, but, it, but I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of hitting it home here all the way because whether again, the listener has a big business or, or a small, it, like paying attention to the people and then also then the environment of those people and whether, what are, what are we going after? What's our intention? What's the environment? What's the, what's the, are we focused? Are we aligned? What's the energy? Like there's just so many words that go into that, but it matters is I guess my point. We're not, and then we're not all pulling in different directions. You know, it's not tug of war. Now you're actually just, you're pulling the wagon together, right. which is great. Right. And I've seen, you know, we've had, we've had people on our team that have worked really well and all pulling, you know, we've had seasons, I should say, with our yeah. team where, you know, you've got the right mix and everyone's aligned and we've had seasons where maybe everyone isn't. And that's yeah. when the organization, that's when it correlates to the numbers and the graphs and all the, you know, all the money and fun stuff. Is when your team's gelling, the money's coming. Yeah, there's momentum, like actual yeah. tangible. You can it like the atmosphere is thick with momentum, like you can feel you it. Feel it, oh, definitely. Yeah. Jinx. No. <laughs> Tim's over here taking me back to the fourth grade, y'all. Here we go. All right, I want to know about a process that you follow. Is there a magic formula of making good decisions? That's what we've been talking about. What, something comes across your desk today, Tim. How do you how do you tackle it? Oh man, I mean the the making good decisions. Well, so I guess you don't know until you look back and you say like, oh man, I should have seen that. I should have right. seen. I, I, you always say that. I'm sure. I'm sure you've yeah. had situations of decisions you made where you were like, this opportunity, right? Opportunities come across your desk all the time. I'm sure, right? This opportunity is oh, yeah. great. It's it's yes. gonna it's a fantastic opportunity, but then. I think where, where, where I've made mistakes or made really great decisions is in the process of, of marrying that up to what my goals are, what the company's goals are. And, you know, can we align that opportunity with what we're, with what we're doing as a company, right. as a team? And I've certainly taken opportunities to, that I thought were great, but just didn't do the due diligence that I should have in the right. people or the opportunity or the customer base, et cetera. And those are the ones that end up costing you, I think. And it's not just the money, it's the time and the momentum. Because as you know, and I'm sure a lot of other people listening know that like once you get the momentum and you can feel it, 
and then you lose it. Yeah. It could be years sometimes to get it back. It could be a yeah. long time. So I think when you, when you're sitting there and you're like, things are going well, I want to take advantage of another opportunity, not doing the due diligence, not really giving myself the time to think about that yep. has been tough. So I've developed a little bit of a, you know, kind of step back and think, you know, when there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of either opportunities or problems coming your way, right. just step back, kind of disconnect for a second, you know, get as much information in as you can and think about like, you know, how does this really affect me and my team? And yeah. then, you know, with that kind of like, look before you leap type of thing, don't just go making decisions. So if there's anything, I would just say that decision-making, I've slowed down a little bit. I've said, no, if I can't, if it's a rush and there's too much pressure, it's a no. And that saved me a lot of, a lot of, uh, I think yeah. in our team, a lot of hurt. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to make a, oh, it absolutely does. I want to okay. make a, a quick, like you said a really powerful word there. You said, if it's a rush situation, and I think that there's a distinguishing between speed and rushing. And yeah. so you said you have this this process now of maybe slowing down, really not necessarily slowing down in your decision making or slowing down your business, but slowing down your mind so that it's yeah. not rushed. I think that's the distinguished. And, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but it's the same thing that I've done for myself is that things are moving so fast and, I'm, and I got so many different projects or businesses or, or employees or things hit me at all times, let alone my phone. I mean, geez, like just all the time. And so being able to slow it down so that I can make a quality decision, it's not slow it down to like take three weeks to make a 30 second decision. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a process of analyze, think, decide, like, boom, just it, whether that's 30 seconds or three years, I'm not really necessarily saying that a long-term decision doesn't, sh shouldn't only take 30 seconds. I'm just saying that it, we shouldn't yeah. elongate a decision just because we need time to think, right? Yeah. When you look at the opportunity and you look at the time required to act, you right. still want to act appropriately. And I, again, like many others, I'm sure have made the mistake of actually physically slowing down and like, oh, right. that, that, because that opportunity won't be there for you. But then on, so you can't go too slow. But at the right. same time, you also can't say, oh, this opportunity is going to go away. Another one's not going to come. I've got to, yeah. I've got to, you know, disalign, you know, myself and my company in this opportunity. Exactly. I got to get them together. I got to force them. And uh, that's where yep. the problem, well, let's say a contract, like I'm, I'm negotiating a contract and I have a, I have a deal killer. You know, if there's this one term that this one, you know, term or section of, of deals that I always look for to be right. Cause I know, uh, let's say it's force majeure with the pandemic nowadays. Right. Right. If I'm just not comfortable with the force majeure clause in, in this, you know, and it's going to hurt, potentially hurt my business, don't rush it. Talk yeah. it through, negotiate it out. And if, if you can't work that out, it's because you can't align yourself with that other side. They don't have the same, they're not on the same path as you yeah. are. So hopefully that'll save somebody millions of dollars here. I'm sure it will. Yeah, the, the, the words rush and hurry are not your friend. Don't get rush and hurry confused with speed. Speed is always your friend. Yeah but rush and hurry are not. One is confusion, one is clarity. And so I think that you can operate in speed if you have a specific lane and you know what vehicle you're in, you know how, how fast it can go and you know where you're going. That's like, boom, pedal to the metal, I can go fast. But if I, if I have confusion or if I'm unsettled or if things are just in a whirlwind, then I'm, 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 I get that, I get that like about me or the angst. Um, and so it's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm rushing or I'm, I'm hurrying. Yeah constantly or chasing my tail, there's a complete difference. And so I think we did a pretty good job of, of breaking that down. Yeah. I want to go to our, exactly. I love speed. My, speed's my friend, my, my friend. I want to go to our speed run here. Speaking of speed. <laughs> Man, um, we couldn't have done that better. Couldn't have done it better. See, it's, it's like, it's like you're my co-host. And so maybe, 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 shoot, we're getting close to 300 episodes. Maybe 301 is, is a co-host situation. I don't know. All these different ideas popping hey, off man, here, Tim. You yeah, you put the you, you put the position out there. I'll apply. It's, I love it. All right. So, what KPI would you track if you could only pick one to track forever and ever? I knew you were going to ask that question. I knew you were going to ask that, and I never, I didn't have my answer down. And I think it's only because there are so many. Yep. Again, I I know you ask a lot about books that people recommend and. I'm not saying I'm, well, I am saying I recommend it. Scaling Up by Vern Harnish and that yeah. crew there. They talk about KPIs um, in a little bit different way. They call okay. them kept promise indicators. 
And I think in looking at it that way, because there's KPIs, revenue, margin, all those things are so important. Cash. Listen, if you don't have cash, you're dead. Yeah. We, we've all experienced that, right? Oh, but we've all been the, dead on the, on the table. The, it's been a flat line. <laughs> exactly. It, Somehow, it some way we get resuscitated. It's like it won't die on the inside of us. We've all been there. We, yeah, you can. And those are great KPIs. Never, I would say, I just, you know, I'm just not giving a typical answer here, but yes, cash, all that from a business side is super important because you could be, you could be cash flush, doing a great job, make one wrong decision. And it's really hard to keep cash at a stable, stable point. Like you're, you're just not doing so hot. But on the other side of things, you can be dead on the table and needing resuscitation. Who's going to revive you? Your customer. I mean, you can't lose. To us, our brand is the most important thing. Yeah. And if you lose your customer base and you lose their faith in the product or the brand or you, whatever, you know, whatever business you're in, yeah. uh, that's huge. So for us, it's 100% satisfaction guarantee. And I'm trying, our team is trying to find another way to say that, but it's kind of hard to, that's what it is. Like if somebody so cracks, somebody buys a beer in the store, they crack it and there's like too many hot floaties in the bottom of the can, which will happen. They reach out to us. Our customer service team will send it to me and I'll personally reply to their email and with, you know, I'll just say, Hey, Hey, John, sorry, you had such a bad experience with this. I'm going to send you another four pack or another six pack. And, yeah. you know, we hope you enjoy that. Please give us feedback. And then I'll just sign it from Tim Brewmaster. And that those types of connections are huge. And people usually end up saying, Hey, you know, I wasn't satisfied with one product that I got, but I got the same one from the Brewmaster and it was great. So. They really took care of us. We, we constantly hear, oh, Levante has the best customer service around. Yeah. I would say that's it. And to make a long story short, the 100% satisfaction, and we'll measure that a few ways. We'll look at it online. I don't know if you've heard of Untapped before, but it's a no. huge, it's a huge, it's basically beer social media where everyone okay. goes and everyone who is interested in seeing the ratings of a beer can go on Untapped. It's okay. U-N-T-A-P-P-D.com. And they can type in Levante Brewing Cloudy and Cumbersome, which is our right. flagship IPA. And they'll see the rating out of five. And maybe, you know, hopefully that one's up towards 3.8, 3.9. I forget where that is right now. But you'll see the rating and then you can go down and you can read people's experiences. And they'll say, you know, why did I rate this at two? Because, you know, I got it at this bar. They didn't clean their lines or what, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we track our ratings on that site, but that's very subjective. So... We also have customer surveys. We're redoing our customer survey now in our tap room because we want to get people's, you know, meaningful feedback on how their experience right. was. You know, do we have the right beers on tap for you? Maybe nice. you were, maybe you've got celiac and you didn't, you wanted a cider on tap or you wanted right. a non-alcohol adoption or your group, et cetera, et cetera. So we're listening and we're constantly listening. And I think the best times, you know, the best time to kind of create that customer satisfaction is when we screw up. Yeah. yeah, we do e-commerce. We send beer directly to people to their homes in a few states around us. And oftentimes we'll pack the wrong order and yeah. people will be really upset. And we'll just be like, you know what? This one's on us. We'll just send them the right stuff if we can or yeah. gift card, et cetera, and make yeah. it right. So yeah, KPI would be the kept promise indicator of 100% satisfaction guarantee. Doesn't matter yeah. if you drank the whole, the whole case. If you tell us you don't like it, hopefully we find, we don't find repeat offenders there, but if you didn't like it, We'll take care of you. Yeah. The repeat offenders show themselves pretty easily because just like a thief, they, they don't steal more than what they could have just earned. So it, it's pretty actually easy. And, and and then because of the weight of your guarantee, it, it takes care of all the other actual people that you need to take care of. So I, I love that. One thing that you said in there that I want to just pull out for the listener, because I heard, I've heard this over and over again, just in business, but I had this experience with one of my mastermind members, I don't know, maybe like six months or maybe eight months or so ago. And he had gotten a bad review. It was on Google. And and he like he got so excited and he shared it with the group. I actually thought he was being sarcastic. It was he was so elated. And um I so we were going back and forth and and I because it was on a chat and not, you know, a person, I really I couldn't hear him. And I thought he was I thought I thought it was a joke. I, I for some I he was like, why would not, you share this? Yeah, I'm not on the same page at all. And but he was genuinely excited to be able to get that type of feedback so that he could dig in and implement, you know, a better experience. He is just all about experience. And I am as well. I've learned that the experience or 
satisfaction is is the ultimate, right? Like that that's just that's just what keeps us. Yeah. But his excitement around that was was a whole nother level of experience for me to watch it in person, like behind the scenes. No one else could see him. The customer, well, obviously he, he you know, got with the customer, and yeah, exactly. I'm sure he took great care of them. But to to see the back end of him almost giddy, and it was like, well, this is cool and weird. Like you're getting excited about a one star review, but when you flip that script, it's like, no, 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 this is good. Like this this gives us. We should never, ever, ever get this type of response again because we can. We have now a chance to fix it. Yeah, it's that's such a great response from your friend because like if if you never had those opportunities, like there's a lot of people out there who may be dissatisfied and they go tell 20 people, but they never tell you. So like if you. we hear, if we hear back, let's just say five times a week, someone who might be dissatisfied and we have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of customers out there, right? How many more are, are out there and they're dissatisfied. And it's something right. that, that we're doing wrong or not doing for the customer. And here, you know, our mission is to elevate the craft beer and community experience and we're not doing it right. Yeah. So I, I actually tend to, I got to take a page out of your friend's book because I tend to take these things personally. Yeah. And again, I have to step back and be like, you don't know what you're talking about. It's like, but I, so I have to take a step back and just like say, okay, if I bought this product right. or if I saw, you know, if I saw your ad on social media that would maybe wasn't properly communicated to people and I had a misunderstanding, how would right. I, feel? Right. if I drove an hour to get, you know, to visit your brewery and pick up beer and your team gave me the wrong beer. Right. How would I feel about that? So, so we try, we really just try to, if, if there's a mistake within the team, you know, mistakes are cool. They happen all the time. They're not intentional. We'll meet with people and we'll talk to them about how important the customer experience is because it's the only reason we have jobs. Yeah. Otherwise you're laying dead on that table. There's no one there to resuscitate you when you're, you know, out of cash or there's a pandemic yep. or anything like that. So exactly. What do you think about intentionally networking or masterminding with other entrepreneurs, Tim? I think it's so important. I personally don't do enough of it because I think business, I think business people, right? We get in our, we get our blinders on and we're in the yeah. zone and we're like, we feel like we have to have all the answers and we feel like it's, we don't have time to invest in relationships with other strong business people. That's right. But if you think about it though, you're, you're, if you take time to meet with people who have been through the same things or are going through the same things. It's invaluable for you. I recently started, I've always had some mentors in life, but I recently started expanding that mentorship base. And I, I had a call with the, the mentor recently and it was regarding just basically overall financial measures, you know, KPIs for business, et cetera. I'm, I'm thinking like, hey, I'm a CEO, I'm not a CFO, but I should understand this stuff. That's right. So I had a call with a mentor, a, a new prospective mentor, I should say. And the questions he asked me right off the bat to look into, you know, he's not giving me specifics, but he's like, look into this, this, and this. These are the levers you can pull on for your business. And I was like, dude, wow, I got a lot of work to do. And that was so, that was priceless yep. because he gave me information that maybe I would never have figured out. Yeah. And just, you know, an hour long, half an hour long conversation. And now I've got all these new levers to pull on for financial success in my business and things to yeah. look at. So I think that it's really invaluable to get together with people who, you know, you are aligned with, who are of like mind and yeah. who are out there making a difference, making it happen. Yep. There's, there's that word again, alignment, because yeah. when the, when the weight is shared, we've already experienced this from our conversation a few minutes ago, when the weight is shared, it, uh, it elevates just like your experience. You can't elevate without the customer as an entrepreneur, you're going to naturally put yourself on an Island of sorts. And uh, there's just, there's, it's just very, very difficult to elevate, um, without, without someone else being able to pour in, even if it's just a suggestion, even if it's just hearing someone else's story, like the listener is right now hearing yours, there's just so many ways that we can elevate some free, some paid, sure. some, some, some in, in industry specific, some not, you know? So I think that there's a lot of value there that uh, you've shared. I got a question for you about family, Tim. You said that I could I could kind of surprise you a little bit here, so I'm going to do that. Before it, I've got this I've got this new phrase: this work life obsession, not work life balance, <laughs> like but work life like obsession. And and so here's my belief: is that there is no such thing as balance, and that we were successful in business because we were obsessed. And and I planned I plan and I have been obsessed with my kids, my wife, my family all the other things that I, I'm a part of as well, my community. And so how have you been obsessed in both? Let's just call it family or outside of business and business together at the same time. It's, I feel like I'm talking to 
myself. It's so crazy because I say all the time, particularly if I have an employee who's like, hey, I'm burning out. I don't have work-life balance. And I'm like, it's because you're trying to balance it. Can't. There's no such thing as work-life balance. Yeah. Work is life. Life is work. But also, so is everything else that you do. Going yep. to the beach and, and taking a vacation and unplugging is life. And and even just listening to you, I'm like listening to you and I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. Some Someone who feels the same, you know, has the same beliefs that I do about work-life balance. I think that I read a book once and I, again, I read it every year. It's called Free to Focus by Michael Hyatt. I don't know if you've, yeah. you've ever read it before. I haven't. It's, it's actually on my nightstand. I haven't started it. Oh, dude. You're going to love it. Please tell me. We're in another podcast. I'll be listening. Just talk about that book or something because Michael Hyatt in. is fantastic. In fact, I got my notes in his planner right here. It's, it's a full focus planner. But I read it every year. Typically, I'll take what I learned from that and quarterly, oh, not always, but quarterly, it is my goal to sit back and think about what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, where I'm, what are areas in my life that I'm not paying attention to. Yeah. And I did last year this time, I sat down. In fact, I, I took like two days. My mother-in-law came to town, helped my wife, the kids. And I took two days and I just went to a hotel, like a half an hour away. And I just sat in the room, except for meals. I sat in the room and I just kind of took, uh, I just kind of took inventory of my life, you know, and, and with free to focus as the guide on like what I, what I should, shouldn't be doing or paying attention to. Love I it. found that like 75% of my effort my, my mental and physical and even spiritual effort was in business. It was all about business, maybe even more. And then the, the remaining 25% was really family, but just like the, the primary needs, like the physical needs of my family, making sure everyone's fed, you know, clothes off to school, et cetera. And I found that I wasn't putting literally anything into my family at a deeper level, nothing into myself at all. Yeah. And that's when I, you, if you look at like, I would say like health apps and things like that, you've got your macros, you know, your carbs, your proteins, your fats, that's things right. like that. I started to look at my life in macros in a way and just been like, wow, that's good. Yeah. Business is important, but I think that it's really important also to meditate a little bit or, you know, get a little bit more spiritually connected to unplug and play. Cause as mm. business owners, we're probably like, oh, I can't play. I can't go have a beer with the neighbor down the street because then I'm not accomplishing okay. anything. Right. So I think that that's, I've used the tools in that book to really help me become more productive in life and get more energy and focus into, you know, what I'm not doing, I should say that I should be rather than just business, business, business. I hope that answers what you're getting at, but I, yeah. I really, I think that it's, it's just like you said, there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's just life. Yep. So just, just try to balance your life. Yeah. Just, just go, just go for all of it. All the things that you say that you want. Yeah. I love the analysis of, of where you're at, taking the inventory. So that in essence, what you did is you recalibrated your intention. So again, not just yep. use it, you said not to tie it all together, but, but literally that's what we've done here is we've tied it all together. And so when your intentions are set to what it is that you want, then, then you can make it really clear and go, ah, okay, I need to spend a little bit more attention here, a little bit more time here, or a little bit more effort here, a little bit more money here. You know, I've got a, I've got a, a mastermind cruise coming up here in, in June and it's for families. We're going on a family All vacation. Right. First and foremost, I, I, I designed it with my wife. We're going on a family vacation. Oh yeah. By the way, we're going to do it with some other high performing business families, which is great. We're going to do some cool family vacation things together. Oh, but then I'm going to create some, you know, sessions on marriage and, and, and family and, and of course business. I've got some experts coming in to do that, but that's awesome. all of that is like, that's time, money, and effort. Like what? That's how we invest time, yeah. money, effort. Yeah. And you, you look at what you're investing in and it, it's funny when you really lay it out on paper, I don't do it enough. I'm sure no one does it enough, but even if it's quarterly, even if it's annually, you'll really find what you're kind of neglecting or running from or, or procrastinating right. on. It's not many things that would make you, that would bring a lot more joy into your life. But one of mine was, I, I'm a gardener. I love gardening. Okay. And one of mine was just, I want to... That last year was a pretty miserable year gardening wise. I didn't prepare in time. You know, I didn't, I didn't really give the garden the attention. And it's a perfect kind of analogy or metaphor to life there. It's like, I didn't water the garden enough. I didn't spend enough time in the garden. I'm going to do it this year. So uh, this year I'm like all prepped. I got my seeds and seed trays and the whole, the garden and is on a PDF and all that kind of stuff. So I feel ready, but it's that day. But you know, so I did my, I took my inventory of what I, what I wanted to do, which I thought would bring me joy in my right. gardening experience, if you will. But now it's time to really kind of just watch that every day. Like, what am I doing? 
to take care of that and make that happen. And we have so much fun with the kids in the garden, you know, picking strawberries or, you know, helping prune the plants and things like that. So it's, I think if people aren't doing that, I would really encourage them to just take inventory. It doesn't have to be too serious. Just get out a piece of paper and just say like, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I want to do. Where's the disconnect? Do they match? Yeah. And try to try to get them a little bit closer than last quarter or last yeah. year. That's and good, I think man. over over five, 10 years, you're not going to really know the difference between yeah. who you were and who you are. Tim, I got one last question here for you. Sure. You had an opportunity to whisper in the younger Tim's ear. What would you say? Oh, yeah. That's also, that's, that's also a really good one. I mean, I think I would say... I would say patience. I would just say the word patience because the often in life, I just never saw the whole picture and always kind of, again, you know, like leap before I looked. And if I was, if I was whispering into, yeah, like 17, 18 year old Tim's ear, it would just be like, just have patience because a lot of things just work themselves out over time and you don't have to, you don't have to try to force it. Love that. Tim, how can, how can we find you? Number one, where can we buy your products? You've mentioned obviously craft beer, ciders, non-alcoholics, the whole deal. Where can we find those? And then also how can we find you as an entrepreneur? Of course. Yeah. So our business is Levante Brewing Company. We're at Levante. That's L-E-V-A-N-T-E brewing.com. And if you're, if you're lucky enough to be in a, in a several state area, you know, Pennsylvania, Virginia, DC is where we ship to directly. You can buy our stuff online. And we can ship direct to you. We're all, we distribute in the uh, Northeastern United States. So PA, New Jersey, Maryland, Delaware, Washington, DC, and Virginia. And we're expanding from there. So if any, if anything, if you've never seen us or would like to have us in a store in that area, you know, please go ask your local, you know, grocer, beer distributor, et cetera. We'd be happy to service you and your, your area. And you can reach me at just my name, Tim, T-I-M. Floros, F-L-O-R-O-S, at LevanteBrewing.com. Any questions you have, happy to answer. Love it, man. You've been incredible. I've very much enjoyed our alignment here today. And you never know, maybe there'll be a co-host spot that opens up and you can apply. Keep me in mind. Keep me in mind, man. It's been a I've pleasure. An, Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, as I say, I've had an incredible time. Blessings on your family and your business and your team. Thank you for being here. We'll talk soon. Same to you and yours, Chaz. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1,000 kings, specifically who are grateful, but not done. We're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business, family, and communities. And here's what we believe, that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and and resonates with you, and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.